Good morning, church. So last week, we started our Bible reading plan, going through the story of the Bible in a year. And we are starting this by looking at Psalm chapter 119. And we started last week by talking about what is the Bible and why do we read it in the sermon. And we saw that it's incredible. God has spoken to us and revealed himself to us through a book. Although God is infinite, he's beyond our ability to comprehend unless he reveals himself to us. He has revealed himself to us and he's done it in a shockingly everyday and ordinary way, a book. And we saw last week that if you want to know God and if you want to know his heart for you, if you want to experience the joy that can be found through knowing him, the key is this book, the Bible. But what we didn't discuss last week is how. How do you read the Bible? How do you read the Bible in a way that helps you connect with God? As a book from God, is there some special secret we need to learn in order to be able to to understand the Bible? And that's what we're going to be looking at and talking about today. Today we're going to look at Psalm chapter 119 verses 57 through 64 and verses 97 through 104. And we're going to see that you read the Bible like any other book and unlike any other book. You read the Bible like any other book and unlike any other book. Because the Bible is a book, we read it like we read other books. But because the Bible is from God, we read it differently than we read other books. So let's pray and then I'll explain more of what I'm talking about. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us through this book and that we have a chance to look at this book and learn more about who you are today. God, guide us as we look at your word. Help us to see you more clearly in it, to love you more clearly because of, more deeply because of it. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first off, we read the Bible like we read any other book. In my undergraduate degree, I majored in the Bible. My degree was called a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies. And as with any university major, there were certain core classes that I was required to take in order to get my degree. And one of those core classes was called Principles of Biblical Interpretation. I don't know whether that sounds exciting or boring to you, but I was really looking forward to this class. Because I had this assumption in my mind as a young, like 19 year old, that there was some special secret skill needed to read the Bible. And I assume people who have been to Bible college have learned this skill. And all of us who haven't been to Bible college are kind of limited in how much we can ever hope to get out of the Bible if we try to read it for ourselves. And I thought that this class, Principles of Biblical Interpretation, that's where they're gonna teach me the secret. That's where I'm finally going to be able to learn this secret for how to read and understand the Bible like a pro. And so I got the textbook for this class. It was called Grasping God's Word. And I thought that that sounds promising as a title. I was ready to learn these deeper secrets of reading the Bible. And I opened up the book to start reading. And I was so disappointed because I found that most of the things the textbook was telling me about how to read the Bible were really basic skills that my teachers had taught me in Sunday school as a kid and that my high school English teachers had taught me. Things like know the difference between a sentence and a paragraph and what each is trying to accomplish. Know the genre of what you're reading. Is it 
a letter, or history, or poetry. Make sure as you read the words, you understand what each word means. Understand different parts of speech. Is a verb in the present tense, or the past tense, or the future tense? If there's a descriptive word, what is it describing? And how is your understanding of the word being described changed because it's being described in this way? I was so disappointed that, that the great secret I had been waiting for wasn't a secret at all. It was stuff I had known my entire life. And I was extra disappointed because not only did this class not give me some deep secret of the universe, it actually brought me back to studying grammar, which was one of my most hated subjects during my younger years. So it didn't give me the deeper secret of life. It told me I had to focus on the class that I had really, really hated when I was younger. I was disappointed. And I thought to myself, what is the point of paying tens of thousands of dollars, US dollars, not Hong Kong dollars, tens of thousands of US dollars for a degree if the degree isn't gonna teach me the great secrets of God and the universe? I was so sad and disappointed. But now that I'm a little bit older, just a little bit, have a little bit more perspective on life. I can actually see the fact that the skills needed for reading the Bible are really basic. That's, that's not bad news. That's really good news. Because it means that those skills are available to all of us, even if we don't have tens of thousands of dollars in a few free years of our lives to go get a degree in the Bible. The skills we use for reading the Bible are the same skills we use for reading anything else. The pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul, he put it this way, if we can read the newspaper or blogs, we can read the Bible. Hopefully you're encouraged by that. I mean, I would assume that most of us read something or other, whether it's the newspaper or blogs or different articles online or novels on a semi-regular basis. And the fact that, that you can do that means you can read the Bible. So as we seek to read the Bible as a church this year, what does this mean for us? Well, first, it means there are several tools for reading that you learned in school that are foundational for reading the Bible, right? If you want to read the Bible, first, you need to know how to read. And let me just say, if you are part of the church and you can't read, learning the basics of how to read in the first place is a great place to start. And if you can't read, but you want to learn, please come talk to me. Let me know. We have some people in the church who would be great at teaching you how to read. And that's an incredibly important life skill to have in general. So come talk to me. Let me know that you want to learn to read. And we will do what we can to get you hooked up with someone who can help you learn how to read. And let me just say, if you're not able to read, as you're learning to read, or if you decide you don't want to learn to read, Audio Bibles are a great way to learn God's word if you can't read. Um, but also remember, as we're about to talk about the skills for reading, all the skills that I'm about to talk about that you need for reading, if you're listening to audio Bibles, you'll need those skills for listening as well. So beyond simply knowing how to read or listen, what other skills help us to, to really read and understand God's word? Well, as I've mentioned, basic grammatical and contextual awareness. If you want to read God's word and get a lot out of it, learn to ask good questions about the text that deepen your understanding of it. So here are some examples of, of the types of things to look for. Like I already said, what does this word mean? 
Karen Swallow Pryor, she's an English professor, and she says, reading well begins with understanding the words on the page. If you are reading the Bible and you come to a word and you don't know what it means, look it up. And I know, let me just say as a little side comment, I know our first instinct when we look it up is to grab our phone and Google it on there. If that's your only option, go for it. But do something to your phone so that as you're reading your Bible and you go to look up words, you don't see notifications for all your social media as you try to do that. Because once you see an Instagram notification, you're going to forget about looking up that word. You're going to scroll through your Instagram notifications. You're not actually going to come back to your Bible reading, right? So, so try to put barriers in there that, that block you from getting distracted by social media when you're looking up the words. But look up words you don't know so that you can learn what they mean and, and get from the text what you're intended to get from the text. Other questions that are good to ask. Is something being described here or commanded here? So think about the the giving of the Ten Commandments. When God gives the Ten Commandments to Israel, and that's recorded in the Bible, is that just a story describing a conversation between God and the Israelites that happened a few thousand years ago and, and nothing more? Or is it commanding us, us, of how we're supposed to live our lives today? The context of the Bible informs which interpretation we're supposed to take and which interpretation we take, either it's describing a story that happened or commanding us for something that we're supposed to do today, which interpretation we take has really big implications for our lives. So we need to learn to ask, what's going on here? And what are the expectations on me because of it? If you're reading poetry, which you may not know this, but a huge chunk of the Bible is poetry. If you're reading poetry, Which metaphors are being used here? Why would the author choose these metaphors out of all the options available? So Psalm 23, one of the most famous Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why does David describe God as a shepherd? Why didn't he choose father or king or boss? What is David trying to show us about God's character and the way we relate to God by describing God in this way rather than another way? Or if you're reading a story, who are the main characters and what do they add to the story by being part of it? And how are they changed through this story? So you look at Luke chapter 15, it's the story of the prodigal son. At the start of Luke chapter 15, we see that there are two groups of people who are present as Jesus is speaking. The first group is the tax collectors and sinners. These guys are the bad guys of society. Everyone hates them. Everyone knows they're terrible people who do lots of bad things. And then the second group is the religious leaders. The religious leaders are complaining because the tax collectors and sinners are coming to Jesus and listening to him. And Jesus is accepting them and eating with them and spending time with them. And the religious leaders are looking at Jesus saying, come on, why would you eat with these people? You know, they're horrible people, right? And that's the crowd present. As Jesus tells a story about a man with two sons, there's two groups of people, two sons. Think that's significant? And then think about the sons. The first son, he's a terrible son. He's rebellious. He runs off. He disobeys and shames the family and comes back with nothing. But he ends the story embraced by the father, celebrated by the father. On the other hand, the older brother never does anything wrong. 
He's the perfect son on so many levels. He stays and he works hard and he honors the father in so many ways. And yet he ends the story separated and alienated from his father. If we think about the crowds that are present as Jesus tells the story, how does that shape the way we read that story? Or if you're reading a letter in the Bible, it's really important to know who's writing the letter. Who are they writing to? Why are they writing the letter? What are the circumstances that led to them writing this letter? So, for example, Paul. Paul, in most of his letters, he's known for really tight logical arguments. Point A leads to point B leads to point C, and therefore you should live in these ways. But if you go to 1 Corinthians, it's one of Paul's letters, and rather than saying point A leads to point B leads to point C, He says, here's topic one, here's topic two, there's topic three, and he just jumps around from topic to topic to topic. For someone who's so often known for having such tight logical arguments, why would he jump around so much here? Well, it helps us to read and understand 1 Corinthians if we know the church in Corinth sent Paul a letter asking him lots of questions. And 1 Corinthians is Paul's response to those questions in another letter. So he's jumping from topic to topic to topic, seemingly with no transition in between, because he's answering one question, and when he finishes, he moves on to the next question, which may have seemingly nothing to do with the question before it. So learning to ask good questions about what's going on in the Bible and why it's going on helps us to understand what's happening in the Bible and what God's trying to teach us through it. And I realize If you hated literature classes and grammar classes in school, and you rejoiced on the day that you finished your last one about the fact that you would never, ever, ever have to take that type of class again, you're probably cringing as I describe this. But realize, God has spoken to us. Is that not amazing? God has spoken to us. And he chose to do it through a book. If you want to know God more deeply, then learning and relearning and practicing the basic skills for how to read a book is one of the most foundational, important skills that you can learn. So we read the Bible like any other book in the sense that we use the basic skills of reading in order to read and understand the Bible. But the similarities between how to read the Bible and how to read any other book actually go deeper than that. Let me ask you, when you read the Bible, how do you typically read it? How do you expect it to work in your life? There's a book in the Chronicles of Narnia series called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in this book, there's a group of Narnians and a few kids from our world who travel on a ship through the eastern seas from Narnia, and they go on this great adventure. And as they travel, they come across a series of islands, and each island has its own adventure that they encounter there. And on one of the islands, all the natives of the island have been turned invisible. And when the Narnians land there, the natives capture the Narnians and they hold them captive and they say they'll only let them go if Lucy, the youngest sister from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, reads a spell from a magic book that will make them all visible again. So Lucy has to go and find the book and then she finds the page that has the right spell on it She reads the words of the magic spell out loud, 
and then everyone on the island becomes visible again. It's very simple. Just find the right page, read the words out loud, boom, done. How often do we expect reading our Bible to work like that? All I have to do is open to the right page, which I'll know it's the right page because God's going to guide me as I open it. Find the right words on the page, read them either in my head or out loud, and whatever trial I'm facing in life is going to be magically fixed. I realize that's a slight character, an exaggeration, but how often does our time in God's word resemble this on some level? We expect that if we just open the book to the right place and our eyes fall across the right words, any problem in our life will be instantly, magically fixed. The reality is we'd never expect most books to work that way. Right? If I wanted to learn Chinese and become fluent in Chinese, none of you would hand me a Chinese textbook and say, read it cover to cover and you'll be fluent. That's ridiculous, right? Learning a language takes work. Yes, reading the book is great, but I need to do more than just read once through it if I really want to learn the language. I have to take the words in the book and write them on flashcards and then study those flashcards over and over and over and over and over again until I'm sick of them, and then keep studying them even more. I have to practice speaking Chinese with other people who know what they're saying, and I have to make mistakes and then try again and again and again and keep messing up until I get it right. I have to go over the material in the book over and over again until it's part of me, and it's only when I've done that that I'll finally be able to speak Chinese. Yes, the Chinese book has the ability to teach me Chinese, but it's only going to teach me Chinese when I study the book deeply, not by just reading quickly through it once. It takes a lot of hard, often boring work to learn a language. And let's be honest, that's the primary reason that after 10 years in Hong Kong, I still don't speak Chinese because I haven't done the hard, often boring work. But I think it's also the primary reason so many of us only have shallow, superficial knowledge of God's word because it takes hard, sometimes boring work to learn it. But this hard, often sometimes boring work pays off when you're able to speak a new language or when you're actually able to apply the truths of God's word deeply to the day-to-day realities of your life. Learning Chinese from a book is a closer parallel for how to read the Bible properly than Lucy reading the magic spell that makes everyone visible the moment the words are spoken. And I know, we talked last week about how the Bible is the key to joy. I'm saying now that sometimes it might feel boring studying it, Let me clarify, it's absolutely true. The Bible is the key to joy. And yes, sometimes studying it might feel like the opposite of joy. But as with anything else in life, it takes hard work sometimes to get to the point of that joy. Just like reading any other book, we need to take time to study and dig in to really get to the joy and the heart of God that the Bible is showing us and giving to us. I mean, look how often this way of studying the Bible shows up in today's verses. In verse 61, I do not forget your law. Think about it. How many books or articles have you read in your life where you read it, you set it down, and you're like, oh, 
what did I just read? I totally forgot everything I just read. How often do you feel that way with the Bible? You read it, you set it down, and you say, I, I just forgot everything I just read. To know the Bible well enough that, like this writer, you don't forget it. You have to invest a lot of time studying it intensely. It's like scales on the piano or a violin, right? A lot of people on this call right now, I think, are able to sit down and play scales on a piano or a violin, even if you haven't touched the instrument for years, because when you were kids, you spent hours and hours and hours studying them on repeat. And it's just burned into your muscles so that you cannot forget it for the rest of your life. You're, you're so in tune with how to play your scales that instinctively when you sit down at that instrument, even if you haven't touched it for years, you're able to play it again. What would it look like for you to study God's word so deeply and intensely that you can't forget it just like that? And then look at the first half of verse 61. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. He doesn't just know God's law so well that he doesn't forget it. He says that's true even when the cords of the wicked ensnare me. God's word is so deeply inside him that even in these stressful moments, he remembers it. Let me ask you, what do you focus on or think about when you're in a really stressful situation? For me, it's often, how do I get out of this situation? But that's not this guy's approach. His approach to the Bible, it's more like pilot training. You know, when you're training to be a pilot, they, they put you in the simulator and they have you go through worst case scenarios, like multiple engines failing during takeoff. And they have you practice this over and over and over again so that it, so many times that it becomes instinct. Because if you're ever on a real flight and that situation happens, they don't want you to have to stop and think about what to do. They want your body to instinctively know the right thing to do. And that's what this guy is saying. When I'm in that stressful situation, I instinctively know what to do. I focus on God's words and do not forget them. Have you ever thought about studying the Bible like a pilot learns how to fly? Studying it and practicing applying it to your life over and over and over again? Imagining stressful situations or tempting situations in your mind and practicing in this hypothetical scenario, how will I respond? How will I focus on God's words in the midst of those situations? And then doing it over and over and over again in these practice settings so that it becomes second nature to you. And it happens without you even having to focus on it or think about it. We treat flight training manuals this way. Why don't we treat the Bible this way? Or another place in today's passage that this approach of studying God's word deeply shows up. Verses 97 and 99 both talk about how he meditates on God's words. I realize in our world, meditation is a loaded word that often has a lot to do with things that are very not Christian. But let me just clarify, he's not talking about like Zen Buddhist meditation where you're trying to empty your mind of everything. He's talking about Christian meditation, which is about filling our mind with God's thoughts and thoughts of God, thinking about it over and over and over. He's saying, God, I spend so much time thinking about your word that it's what I daydream about when I have nothing else to think about. What do you daydream about? How would you have to engage with God's word in order for your thoughts to turn to the Bible in your free moments when nothing else is going on? One more place in this passage that we see this approach 
Verse 63, I'm companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. He's saying, I I surround myself with people who will help me understand and obey God's word in all of my life. Who do you spend your time with? How do they impact your spiritual life? Have you ever realized that sometimes talking about God's word with other people shows you things that are amazing, but you never see on your own? Have you realized that sometimes just spending time with and being around other Christian friends gives you a deeper desire to study God's word and know him more? This is part of why community groups are so valuable because they give us an intentional time and place to invest in relationships that can help us grow in our understanding of and obedience to God's word. And if you'd like to join a community group, send me a message. I'd love to get you connected with a group of people who can encourage you in knowing and obeying God's word more deeply. So in all these ways, we read the Bible just like any other book because it is a book. And before we move on to look at how we read the Bible differently than any other book, let me ask you, what would help you learn God's word this year, not just read it? Do you need to read the Bible out loud when you read it instead of just silently reading it in your head? Do you need to write it out as you read it? Uh, Like copy down word for word as you read? That's actually a really great tool because it forces you to slow down and focus on every single word. It gives your mind space to actually think about what's, what am I reading? What's this saying? Would it help you to learn God's word if you had a list of questions next to you as you read that you can ask yourself about the passage? Would it help you learn it if you journaled about a part that stuck out and seemed important to you? Would it help you learn it if you read it with a spouse or a friend and then discussed the passage with them after you read it? Church, if we want to be people who find joy in God's word, we need to not only read it, but read it well and read it deeply, just like we'd read any other book we really want to learn from. So we read the Bible like any other book. But we also read the Bible differently than any other book, right? We do that because the Bible is not just a book of information. It's a book of formation. And here's what I mean by that. Why do you read a textbook? You read a textbook to learn information, often for the sake of passing an exam or getting a certification. And as long as you learn the information, the textbook has done its job. You don't have to be transformed by the information in order to learn what the textbook has to teach you, right? You can have an obese smoker who's clearly living a very unhealthy lifestyle who becomes a doctor and is even a really good doctor despite the fact that they're ignoring all the medical advice available to them in medical textbooks about how to live a healthy lifestyle themselves. Or someone with crippling debt can get an MBA in finance even though they are ignoring all good financial practice in their own financial pursuits. And as long as the medical student or the MBA student knows the information to give the right answers on the exam, their textbooks have done their jobs. But the Bible isn't like that. It's possible to know the Bible backwards and forwards and still be reading the Bible wrong. It's possible to be able to get a perfect score on a Bible exam and still not really know the Bible in the way God intends for us to know it. If you don't believe me, read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. In the Gospels, the Pharisees had memorized more of the Bible than many of us have read. And they also read commentary after commentary explaining the Bible to them. If we had a Bible exam competition, they would outscore all of us. 
And yet Jesus' harshest criticisms were all aimed directly at them. These guys who knew their Bibles so well because they didn't read their Bibles properly. They got lots of information from the Bible without being formed into the people God wanted them to be by the Bible. With the Bible, you know, there are other books, yes, written for formation, like novels. Novels are aimed to get you to see and interact with the world differently. But you can read a novel and understand what it's saying without actually being transformed by it. But with the Bible, you don't actually understand it until you seek to obey it and live it out. And we see that in today's passage. Look at verse 100, Psalm 119, verse 100. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. He's saying, as I seek to obey you, that's actually how I learn to understand what your word is saying. It's impossible to really know and understand what the Bible is saying if we're living in rebellion against it. And notice, as he seeks to obey God, he finds contentment in God. Look at verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I don't need anything else because I have God and that's enough. And I know that because I'm living in the way that he calls me to live. And as he seeks to understand and obey God's word, God's word changes his desires. Look at verse 104. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. He hates what is wrong because he is falling so deeply in love with God through God's word. And reading and seeking to obey God's word reshapes the decisions that he makes. Verse 59, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Taking time to reflect on his life in relation to God's word changes the way that this man acts and lives. We cannot truly understand and know the Bible until we seek to obey it in our lives. And why is that? Because the Bible isn't just teaching us information. It's not just calling us to a new way of seeing the world. It's not just calling us to follow a certain moral code. It's calling us to a relationship. If you read the Bible merely as a book of information or a how-to guide for life, you're going to miss that relationship and you're going to end up being a jerk, just like the Pharisees because you'll use the commands of the Bible to prove to yourself and everyone else around you that you're better than them. And then you'll look down on everyone else for not being as good or as obedient as you, and you'll totally miss the point of the Bible. Because the point of the Bible is having a relationship with God. A relationship that we don't deserve due to our rebellion against him, but a relationship that he has made possible for us through the death of Jesus for our sins. And as you see that relationship and you see the extents that God went to, to make that relationship possible, that's going to transform you. When you see that, you're going to see the stamps of his love and faithfulness on every single page of his word. And that's going to make you a more loving and faithful person. And again, we see this in Psalm 119. Look at verses 58 and 59. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimony, or sorry, I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. The writer understands God's grace towards him, and that transforms his behavior on a day-to-day basis. Seeing God's grace leads his feet to pursue God, not the things of this world. Knowing God transforms his behavior, not the other way around. Or verse 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. The more clearly he sees God's steadfast love, the deeper his desire to know God more deeply. He wants to learn God's statutes and commandments, not because he needs to pass a test, 
But because God's steadfast love is beautiful to him and he wants a deeper experience of that love and interaction with the beauty of that love. Or verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. What is it that motivates him to meditate on God's word all day long? He says it in the first half of the verse. It's his love for God's law. And then in verse 103 through 104, God's words are sweet to him. Think about eating chocolate. How many of you, if you like chocolate, eat one piece of chocolate and say, that's it, I'm satisfied, I don't want any more. You may stop eating after that first piece of chocolate, but it's because you're exercising incredible discipline and resisting your desire for more. No one is satisfied after eating one piece of chocolate. Eating one piece makes you want another and another and another because it reminds you how delicious it is and it makes you want more. And that's how the writer sees studying God's word. He's saying, once I get a little, I'm reminded how great it is and I just want more and more and more. And what does that do to him? Verse 104, it changes his desires in everyday life. He hates every false way because he knows how sweet God's word is. He hates every false way because he has a sweet standard to compare it to in God's word. He can taste how bitter the world's way of living really is. We read the Bible differently than other books because studying God's word, it's more like falling in love than studying for an exam. Yes, when you fall in love or when you study it for an exam, both situations, you learn a lot of information, but you can pass an exam without being transformed by that information. You can't truly fall in love without being transformed. Relationships change you by default. And you haven't truly understood the Bible until you're in love with God, especially as he's revealed in Jesus. And because this love for God is the goal of reading the Bible, we need to read the Bible differently than we read any other book. So church, how do we read the Bible? We read the Bible just like we read any other book and differently than we read any other book. We read it just like we read any other book in the sense that we use the same basic reading skills to read the Bible as we'd use in reading any book. And in order to extract the treasures the Bible contains, we need to study it deeply and intensely, just like we'd study any other book we want to learn deeply. But we read the Bible differently from other books because we read it for formation, not just information. It's not just a tool teaching us important stuff. It's a pathway to a relationship. In the Bible, God's heart for us is revealed and it is beautiful. And Psalm 119 is showing us the more clearly we see God's heart for us revealed in his word, the more we'll be transformed and the more we'll desire to know God's word even more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that all of us can access it and read it and understand it. And we don't need special degrees or special skills, but that you've given us in our basic skills of life, the ability to read and understand your word. Pray that we'd be faithful in doing that, diligent in doing that, that we would seek to know you through your word, that we would seek to be transformed through your word, not just to get information from it. God, help us to be faithful in seeking you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.